Today's episode is brought to you by Ender's Game on Blu-ray and DVD, February 11th, available early on digital HD as of January 28th. Ender's Game, starring Harrison Ford, Asa Butterfield, Haley Stanfeld, Viola Davis, Abigail Breslin, and Ben Kingsley. Ender's Game is a visually stunning and thrilling film, 28 years in the making, written and directed by acclaimed director Gavin Hood, the director behind X-Men Origins Wolverine. As fears of an alien invasion grow, Earth's international fleet recruits an unlikely leader, a young and brilliant boy, to command its forces and fight for the future of the human race. Based on the worldwide bestseller and featuring an all-star cast, Ender's Game bursts with epic adventure and stunning visual effects. Movie Lion's Pete Hammond calls the film spectacular. The Blu-ray includes an exclusive 45-minute making-of featurette called Ender's World, The Making of Ender's Game, and Inside the Mind Game, a look at the motion capture process used in the film. Both the Blu-ray and DVD special features include deleted and extended scenes with optional audio commentary with director Gavin Hood, as well as a feature-length audio commentary with producers Gigi Pritzker, and Bob Orsi, and a second feature-length audio commentary with director Gavin Hood. Ender's Game on Blu-ray and DVD, February 11th. Check it out. Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah! Uh, I've got Jonathan Goldstein. And John Francis Daly here in uh, the studio. Thank you guys for being here. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us. Yeah, we're we're delighted. <laughs> I can tell. Um, let's let's get into it, you guys. Uh, I feel like I I've been hearing your names for years now because of this uh, breakthrough script that you guys had. And you're you're primarily feature writers, is that right? We are yeah. now. I, I did uh, a dozen years in sitcoms before John and I started collaborating in features. Um, and now we sort of dabble in TV. We have a yeah. pilot this year for CBS, okay. which we're waiting to hear the fate of. But by and large, yes. Um, I do want to talk about some of that TV stuff that you yeah. did because it was—it's a varied resume. It is indeed. Uh, John and I <laughs> met on one of those one such varied. Oh no, kidding. Show, yeah. Uh, well, listen, we're talking about it. What was that? No, um, it was the Gina Davis show. Mm-hmm. Um, that mm-hmm was not of recognition. <laughs> it was of acknowledgement of me saying the genitive. I remember it existing. <laughs> it was the I year. The year happened. was two thousand one. One. Uh, there was a uh, there was an SNL joke about it that I think probably got more viewers than the show itself. Oh no. Uh, but no, it was it was a fun project well to work on. She was um, what was she? Was a, a single girl who uh, starts living with Peter Horton. <laughs> and they Peter Horton playing Horton. himself. Peter Horton essentially <laughs> playing himself, and he has a son and a daughter. John was the son. Uh, I was a writer on that show. He played a writer on the show. <laughs> a writer in the writers' room. It's very meta show. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it lasted a season. Mm-hmm. But um, I like to think the best thing that came from that was that John and I met and found that we were kindred spirits of a sort. He was making these short films that were very similar to the ones that I made when I was his age. Oh, interesting. And. Um, and so we just sort of had this very similar sensibility. We didn't actually really start collaborating until a few years later. Mm-hmm. What was the sensibility in these short films that you were making at the time and that you were <sighs> making idiocy. before? Idiocy. Yeah, complete <laughs> and utter idiocy. Uh, very irreverent, um, clever at times, but uh, just goofy. A combination of Monty Python and uh, 
and Woody who Allen. else? Woody Allen, yeah. mm-hmm. Mel Brooks. I think it's it's always for us. It's always about like the smart combined with the stupid in equal <laughs> measure, and that's always. And I think Monty Python is probably the best example of that. They all went to Oxford and Cambridge and stuff, and yet they put out the most insane things. Um, and so, yeah, I did, instead of doing a term paper my senior year of high school, I did a video, 40-minute video called Apocalypse Here, and I got all the teachers to be in it and nice. cameos and stuff, and we <laughs> shot it in the school, and it was very So it's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, what is your background as a writer? How, how deep into your writing career were you at this Well, my father was Tennessee Williams. I don't know if I... If what? Yes. And then we changed <laughs> our name to, to Goldstein it's, to get it, away from the stigma. It rolls off the tongue uh, a little better. The stigma of being uh, Southern. Yes. <laughs> um, well, I actually, I took an odd path to get to where I am. I was a lawyer. I went to Harvard Law School. What are we, two minutes in? <laughs> two minutes in. I got it Drop out Drop the h I got it in. <sighs> I tried to um, lead with your breakthrough script. But, you know, <laughs> so I, I want to talk about going to Harvard, about Harvard Law. Law School. Can we just spend ten minutes on Harvard Law? Uh, and I didn't like the path that that led to, which was being a corporate lawyer in New York. And so <laughs> in 98, I quit. I came out here and got an agent and uh, started writing TV specs. And so, but it must have always been in the back of your head. Yes. Like, the writing is something that you wanted to do. Yeah, well, comedy was always something oh, I wanted really? to do. I was a class clown. I got in trouble a lot in school because I couldn't not say the joke that occurred to me. Um, and so, yeah, and I was a huge admirer of so many sort of comedic geniuses coming of age mm-hmm. um, in the 70s and 80s. And, and so, um, yeah, I just... Uh, Luckily, I, I was able to. I got on a show as a writer within six months of coming out here. That's insane. Then, How did that happen? Uh, you know, I, I don't know exactly. Um, what I did was I sent out back then. It was fax. You'd send mm-hmm. out faxes, and so I sent out. I got that Hollywood Creative Directory book, yeah. and I picked out all the agencies and managers that looked legit to me, <laughs> and I wrote a query letter, as they call it, dropping the Harvard Law bomb, and uh, I got about I don't know. 10, 15 responses, mm-hmm. certain number said I'll read your scripts, and one of them actually took me on as a client. That's wild. So, um, yeah. I, and, and did you know, I mean, the stuff then, because I, I think I was kind of breaking in at the same time, the stuff then was not readily available. Like, you couldn't yeah. just find a script online. There wasn't much on the internet. Now. There wasn't, yeah, it's There was true. barely an internet. Right, right. Uh, no. So how did you know what a script looked like? Well, how did you know what you were doing? My first job before I got hired uh, as a writer out here was reading scripts at ICM. I, got, I had a friend who was leaving, and he said they need an in-house person. So I got that job making $400 a week and sitting in the reader's room and talking to agents and reading three scripts a day and just seeing how it all worked and sure. learning kind of what's good, what's bad. That's great. And, that was, and reading the trades and really getting a in-depth look at the yeah. industry. Do you remember stuff that in doing all that reading that clicked for you? That you said, oh, this this works. This specific is something scripts I can try or to specific do. Whether it's scripts techniques. or technique, yeah. I, I would say brevity. If you can convey with few words what you're trying to to uh, achieve, it's so much more effective than a page full of description. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading Andrew Marlowe's script for Air Force One before it had gone into production and thinking like, all right, this is silly, but it's great. You know, it's just such an effective, well-written script, that kind right. of thing. You could tell. It was just you could see a competent writer from a less competent one. Interesting. Um, and so we still do that today. I think we try and say as little as possible. We still kind of try and direct from the page because mm-hmm. I think we're directors at heart in some hmm. ways. But, um, yeah, so that's one thing. Oh, that's interesting. And, John, you, of course, were uh, have been acting since you were a kid. Right. Right? So you, you know the language of this stuff. Uh, but what the, was there always something in your head that you wanted to create it as well? 
Absolutely. I mean, even before Freaks and Geeks, like Jonathan said, I was doing a lot of mm-hmm. stupid home movies. Um, and directing was always the the the, the goal. Um, oh, really? And so acting and, and writing and, and all of that was sort of a, a way to get to what I ultimately want to do, and, and that's direct. Um, obviously, I'd like to continue to do writing and acting as well, but uh, I think also for Jonathan, it's it's been like the holy grail for us. Um, but as far as, you know, understanding the script and, and figuring out what works on the page, absolutely, acting helped mm-hmm. to, to get there. Um, I had the fortune of uh, being able to work with some of the best writers in the business before they were even sort of acknowledged as that. Um, And, uh, you know, Judd and and Mike White and Paul Feig and uh, Jeff Judah and Gabe Sachs, and I'm choking. And uh, (laughs) I I told you, you get emotional. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Talking about those guys really brings back (laughs) memories. Uh, but yeah, so it was it was definitely the the best kind of crash course that I could have mm. asked for. Yeah, I mean, I feel like looking at scripts all the time, you're going to get the nuts and bolts like that. And clearly, having read them, Jonathan, you know, you're going to start to understand what makes a story work. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this a learning curve for you, John? The the story aspect of it, the narrative aspect of it. Absolutely. I mean, you know. When I first started writing scripts, when anybody does, they generally write something sci-fi or road trip related, (laughs) (laughs) finding yourself on the road. And that was my first uh, script that I wrote. And you kind of, once you become aware that that is the first script that everyone writes and, and they maybe shouldn't be stuck on that script, that's when you kind of start to learn that, okay, I can get better at this. And I feel like every script that we write may not be better than the last, but at least we're a little more aware mm-hmm. of what works <laughs> and what doesn't. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. I mean, that's an important thing of like, you, you just have to produce stuff, uh, at least right. for a certain period, just write and write oh, yeah. and write until no, we, you can we it out. Start, we had, I don't know, three years or more before anything we wrote was made. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it was a long period. We were working on, I don't know, five or six or seven different things over that time period. And it was frustrating because we were being hired. We were making a good living. People would say to us, what have you written? We're like, well, you haven't seen anything yet. But yeah. we, we knew in our hearts it was going to come out eventually, you know. Um, and so it is a matter of sort of having faith to some degree that you keep at it. Mm-hmm. If you're good, you know, it'll be discovered. Yeah. We were, we were very green even in the meeting process because we got all these general meetings after uh, we wrote $40,000 Man. That's mm-hmm. the first script. Yeah. That was, a, that was what you we'll were referring circle. to. Back. We'll circle back to <laughs> yeah. that. Um, but uh, just a funny story about that. We got all these general meetings and the first one that we took, uh, we didn't know really what would come of these types of meetings. So we pitched an idea that we said that we were throwing around um, and they seemed to really like it. This one particular production company that we met with, we ended up meeting with like 50 of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and after the first meeting, they were like, this is a this is a great idea. We should totally produce this. This this sounds great. And we went out of that meeting and we were I remember us sitting on a bench in Paramount Studios thinking we like high five. We were like this <laughs> like, is we just sold another one. We this is it. This is I mean this is the beginning of our careers. This is amazing. 
Uh, little did we know that, you know, every production company says that they would like to produce something, and that doesn't really mean much our unless agents, the studio's on our, board. We called our agents, and they quickly poured water over the <laughs> excitement of it. It's better that you learn, though. Yeah. Standing yeah. outside the offices. Exactly. <laughs> it wasn't a sale. Yeah, we're gonna, yeah. we could have called from the sofa. So how are we going to do this? Yeah. Uh, you want to make <laughs> right. a couple million? Make deal. Um, but that is, I mean, it's such, uh, the, the meetings and the pitching, it's all such a different animal from the actual writing that you do have to learn that stuff for as sure. much as you have to learn the craft. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a weird dichotomy because writers tend to be insular, sort of introverted people, and you have to go out there and pitch, which is like being a circus act. It's like an audition, and, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, is this something you feel well prepared for, having auditioned? I've always hated auditions, so no. Nobody likes them. <laughs> I think some people do. Some people actually put as uh, hours and hours of prep into it, and I do the least amount of work. I've always avoided homework, and I'm sure that's been uh, uh, to the detriment of my career, but it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. He's a lazy man. Um, no, I mean, I think, and, and pitching, too, is something where you, you get better at it as you go. I yeah. mean, obviously, it's very difficult in this market to just sell a pitch, especially if you haven't got a credit. Um, it seems seems like the way in now is to write a great script and get yourself on the blacklist and then um, get to <laughs> yeah. people's attention. Yeah, more yeah. and more you're doing the work beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, gone are the days of old Hollywood where you could go in there and, and sell something in five minutes, you know, just based on a sentence. And uh, we kind of missed that by about 10 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, tell me about, about some of these pitches and how you guys learned that aspect of it. Um, I sometimes wish that there was a program where writers could be a fly on the wall of other people's pitches because it's really never explained to you. You have a sense because you've like seen it in movies where people go in and pitch like in the player or something. You know, they do that whole thing with the you know, the rain's coming down and like, the sound effect. <laughs> it's a classic um, two-hander. Yeah. Um, and we're not really performers. Like obviously we want to get as many laughs in a pitch if it's a comedy um, because that's that tends to soften the room and make them remember you fondly but um we're very sort of scripted in our pitching really? actually um don't tell anybody but <laughs> we uh we we try to make it as as though it's like coming off the top of our heads and, and we're coming up with it spontaneously but in truth a lot of what we're saying is word for word on paper we'll even do we'll even do jokes like I'll make a joke off of what he says it seems like I just came up with it but it's completely rehearsed (laughs) oh my Um, god yeah I know I mean it's it's, I think it's a secret of stand up comedians as well Mm. like they're way more prepared than you would expect them to be because they seem like they're just talking to you and I I think that's the art of the pitch as well with a little less jokes (laughs) but I would also say I mean I think we've gotten briefer in our pitches mm-hmm. i think people start to zone out after 15 minutes or so mm-hmm. um and so if you can do it quicker you should um and i think we've gotten um i don't know we used to i think we started off with that you know such and such meets such and such nonsense that people like to do right hollywood Nobody, shorthand yeah, yeah. yeah and also i don't know do we still do like an actor suggestion like think, think we sometimes yeah. we'll do a think mm-hmm. clark gable did I don't think no, we did it for our last one. one. No, it's not. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> no. Um, but 
Yeah. So, I mean, pitching's hard. We actually we did sell something recently to New Line on the phone. Um, Real? Which doesn't it was, happen. Yeah. Yeah. It was a that fifteen minute awful. call. <laughs> fifteen minute phone call. Um, it wow. was it was the coolest. It. Yeah, it was the most old Hollywood experience I think yeah. we've had. But that so comes, far. That's largely because we have a long relationship with mm-hmm. them of many years. And right. We've written a bunch of movies for them. It wouldn't have worked at Universal or Fox sure. or wherever. And it wouldn't have worked and in the first year. Of your certainly career. not. Not no. at all. Look, we not not to say we're so accomplished, but. Even at whatever stage we're at, we work a shitload to get jobs. Can I say shitload on the podcast? Is that a lot? I mean, you have to. Nobody hands you your next job. It's all, even if it's a sequel to something that you wrote that's a hit, you have to work to get that next thing. That's crazy. You you would think it would be a little easier. Uh, Tell me about that. I'm I'm really interested in that. I mean, we we hear from we we talk to occasional feature writers about you know going and pitching on properties or pitching on uh, um, IPs that are in existence at a studio. Uh, but when you're pitching on a sequel to your own movie, yeah. right? What is involved with that? I mean, I would imagine you have an edge at well, least. Well, in some, in some <laughs> cases, I, I, in your contract, yeah, we, and you we have, did. Oh, sure. You have true. the you know chance that you're the first right. guy they but, go to. But I, I mean, I think it's because there are so many writers out there, mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that th- there are so many people that are competing for the same job. Studios have the luxury of being able to pick and choose, and if there is someone out there that's better than you or or has a better angle on whatever the story is, mm-hmm. um, they are open to listen to that. I don't, look, I mean, you can't blame them. They're in business, and if they can get some uh, an idea that they think is better and maybe cheaper, then they should probably be able to go for it. Um, but it is frustrating from our standpoint because you think it should be just you know automatic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and just to get a little nuts and boltsy on on you know pitching in general, when you guys pitch a feature, do you walk uh, walk them through the plot? How do you what, what's the style? It's yeah, it's basically telling telling the whole story from beginning to end, mm-hmm. and and we generally give act breaks so they have an idea of of you know what point in the movie you know what's what's happening is happening. Yeah. As we've gotten more savvy at this, we tend to think in terms of set pieces and so called trailer moments. We want to make sure we're giving them because that's what they're looking yeah. for when they're hearing the pitch. It's like, is this a movie? Can we market this? Do I know what box this fits into? And just from a commercial standpoint, you want to make sure you're giving them some big funny moments if it's a comedy, um, and also thinking in terms of who are you, who are you going to cast in this, and do we is this the right combination of people or a person that's going to open a movie? Hmm. Right. Um, because, yeah. You know, when we started, I remember early on we had some idea that which is mostly going to be kids starring in the movie. And it occurred to us gradually, like, that's really hard to do. It's not appealing. It's not as appealing to people. And same with with older people, which is kind of a shame. But uh, they really do think in terms of numbers and and what will be successful. And so you have to navigate through that hurdle without selling your soul. (laughs) Yeah, it's always, I mean, if you're going to work in the studio system, it's different if you're making your indie or or whatever, your million-dollar movie. But if you're going to do a movie that's 30 to $100 million budget, then you have to be aware that you're creating a product on some level, at least. You still want it to be as good and creative and awesome as it can be. But you got to put yourself in their shoes because you're selling. You're you're a salesman for your own stuff. Yeah, ultimately, it is still a product. Yeah. I mean, we can't be precious about the stuff. Right, right. Um, it, that said, is there stuff you can look at in in any of the, the uh, scripts of yours that we've seen produced uh, that you can say, that is just how I wanted it, or that's a representation of us or what we find 
compelling or funny. Right. I, th- I mean, I think with Horrible Bosses, it was definitely what we wrote ended up getting on screen, mm-hmm. um, with the exception of, of the ad-libbing that they did mm-hmm. that I thought only made it funnier and better. Uh, it was really the truest to, to the page that, that we had that we've done. Wow. Yeah. And and we were we were really happy with the outcome of it because it not only did it do well, it got it got a very favorable for the most part critical response and you know, as a comedy writer, you tend to you seek the approval of your peers a little bit. As any a, as anyone in any <laughs> job in Hollywood. Yeah, and and I think um that is a movie that comedy people. I got a lot of emails from comedy people I respect saying how much they enjoyed it, that's and that, that's really a tribute because comedy people want to hate other people's <laughs> comedies, and it's just it's, I think it's in our nature to be competitive that way. Um, and then there were you know a couple of other things that did not quite go the way you might have envisioned. <laughs> well, we we can touch on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to come back to uh, the forty thousand dollar man because this is the that was the title, right? Yeah, I got that right. Uh-huh. You looked. You both looked at me yeah, blankly. Yeah. Like, no, that's the one. No, when, we we forgot. When will about he it. leave? <laughs> um, when I remember hearing about this uh, years ago, and and the response that it got, like just by word of mouth, that people loved the script. It was so much fun. It was so funny. Uh, tell me about how this kind of came about and how it wound up being the breakthrough for you guys. Well, I think it was something that we we thought the the premise was really funny, uh, and that just came out of nowhere, didn't it? I don't know. It had been something we had talked about for a long time. Well, tell um, a lot of the listeners uh, yeah, probably yeah, have not read it. So. You haven't, you haven't read this script. Um, <laughs> Let's keep talking about it elusively. Uh, it's it's about the guy that came before the six million dollar man. So he when they uh, didn't have the budget to build him properly. Yeah. So he had forty thousand dollar bionics that were very faulty. <laughs> we imagined it as a Will Ferrell type vehicle mm-hmm. back back in the day, and it was. Um, it actually, I mean, we had character with Oscar Goldman. We just took characters from the franchise. That's so funny. Warner Brothers, of course, eventually would come and say, you can't do that. You have to, to rename them. So we did that. Um, and we, I think we wrote about 50 pages of it. And it was cracking us up as we were writing it, which you would think would give us confidence. But we felt like it was just going to be too silly. I think we put it aside for almost a year. We did, yeah. John was on a show or something. You got, you got a show. I, got, I was, I was on, on okay. was it Kitchen? I think I was on Kitchen Confidential. And so we didn't we didn't work on it for about a year. And, and, then, then, I, and then I pulled it up in my computer and I looked at it again and it made me laugh again. And I was like, <laughs> let's just write the last half of this thing and see what happens. And at the time, I had a, a TV agent but no feature agent. I mean, they so, get, they assign you a feature agent, but right. th- you never n- talk to you him. Never yeah. talk to him, and you're like, <laughs> okay, junior. so we finally finished our feature. Can you read it? We uh, <laughs> have the time, and it was great. I mean, that what happened from the moment we turned it in to when we sold it was sort of what everybody hopes happens. Um, we turned it in. My agent, our agent, called like within a, a day and said, "This is great. I want to go out with it." Uh, can you add five pages? I only know it was add five pages because it was like what? 95 pages. That's he wanted 100. So we're like, sure. Because it looks better. Yeah, we can yeah. add 100. We can add five pages. That's so um, funny. And then, uh, and then it went out um, over, uh, I think they go out on like a Tuesday. And I remember getting a call on like Thursday that there were six interested studios oh with God. different uh, producers attached. And we talked about the ups and downs of each of those. And then we. It was by, wasn't it by Friday that yeah, we found we out that it. New Line. Uh, it was an amazing. Se- I mean, we couldn't we couldn't believe it. Yeah. And and 
up until the point that we sold it, we we were almost certain that nothing would happen. That's so crazy. Uh, what what do you think it was in the script that people responded to? I, what's funny is, I think you know at that point with that kind of script sale, it really didn't matter if the movie got made. It just hmm. it made the reader laugh, and that's the same reason why I think it got on the blacklist too. Is is because a lot of those movies on the blacklist you don't you don't actually see the the movie potential in them, mm-hmm. but because they have like a crazy yeah, title well, with people, with fuck in the title yeah. honestly like that that can make people yeah. really yeah. like say oh wow this is so different from all these other movies <clears throat> that we've read one of the most surprising things as we went out on these meetings after that script went out there was so many executives said to us you know i never laugh when i read scripts which seems like it's a problem in itself um <laughs> yeah. but they laughed a lot they laughed out loud reading this and i think that's what uh, struck people i mean our thing always and we're good at sort of uh, checking each other in this is to try not to do the thing you've seen before i think in comedy and drama there's a tendency to put something in a script because you've seen it work elsewhere before mm-hmm. and to us it's like let's turn that on its head let's take the thing you've seen a dozen times we had a bit in forty thousand dollar man where you hear uh, the people having s- what i don't know what? if i want to give it away we haven't even uh, <laughs> made it yet <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm uh, truly afraid that this one will get will get yeah, stolen. Right, yeah, never mind. Really? <laughs> yeah, I really am, oh and God. I still haven't seen it yet. So I'm like, oh right. God, we got to get Someone's that out somewhere. We might even put it in another movie. We're gonna cannibalize our own script. <laughs> well, anyway, we we um, I guess it was just it made people yeah. laugh very simply, and they remembered it. Um, and it's a turn. It's not something they've seen before. I mean, right. I think, it's, I think yeah. that's an important right. aspect. And I, I always like to point out that on the blacklist, it was it got. I think six mentions. They do it by the number of mentions mm-hmm. it gets. It got six mentions, which was one more as Slumdog Millionaire and one in the same as The Wrestler. Like two huge. <laughs> and that's why. And that's why the forty thousand dollar man is the right. six hundred million dollar blockbuster Oscar that it winner. is today. Right. <laughs> yeah. So why haven't we seen this movie yet? It's well. very silly. It's a very silly movie, very and silly. and uh, I think you know the, the whole broad comedy thing is very cyclical. Um, the, the success of Anchorman Two might, you know, bring it back out of hiding, but it's also it's it's playing off of a, a slightly dated. I mean, it's a dated reference too, so I don't know. You know, that could be part of the reason why the studios aren't I jumping think, to make it. I think it. that there's only a handful of guys who can who can play that. I mean, Jim Carrey wanted to do it at one point, and he Terry's was attached. Yeah. Off was gonna was gonna direct it, uh-huh. and Terry did a rewrite, and the studio wasn't so happy with it, and so that kind of went away. And Sasha Baron Cohen has always been interested in it, and uh, but he wanted to do a different take on it that the studio wasn't. Interested. It's all kind of like finding a guy who could yeah. who could do it. Um, That's interesting. I mean, the, the world of features is so strange to me that you know. It, and I know it happens in television, but for an actor to come in and say, "If I'm going to play this, here's a whole different that's take right. That's what they do. That's angle. that's almost invariably the case, except yeah. except with indies where they come in and they don't want to mess with you know right. whatever. Yeah, I mean, if you, uh, yeah, or if you, if you're the Coen Brothers and then right. the actor yeah. has, the, <laughs> has faith in your abilities, but I mean, otherwise it does seem like the bigger the actor, the more the more notes they have and 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 to their credit you know they they got to be where they are with by having this talent so you have to kind of mm-hmm. respect that as well can you guys talk about some of the experiences you've had with rewrites of features whether it was from the actors or the studios or directors yeah well we uh, we wrote this movie the incredible burt wonderstone which had jim carrey and steve carell and 
both had had a good bit of input and changes they wanted to make. We had initially imagined the Jim Carrey character as sort of a, a David Blaine-esque um, low-energy villain. We thought it'd be funny. You haven't really seen a villain who just doesn't give a crap, you know, who just is bad but doesn't really want to be, you know. And, <laughs> like uh, an anti-villain. Yeah. It's fun. And Jim, Jim wanted more of this sort of messianic figure, um, and so we worked with him. We actually went to his house and went through bits and scenes, and he acted stuff out. It was which, good, it was yeah, really which fun. by the way, um, the the twelve year old me was <laughs> creaming his jeans. Can we say creaming his jeans on the podcast? Yeah, but not about the twelve year old you. Yeah. The eighteen-year-old me. <laughs> Still bad. Uh, that's crazy, though. That's yeah. that's really fascinating. No, there's a lot of great opportunities for that kind of stuff on that movie. Um, James Gandolfini, and you know, he worked with him, and um, a lot of uh, a lot of really. And Buscemi is hilarious. Um, Alan Arkin. Yeah, a lot of huge, really awesome, respected actors, and and it was cool to be able to. Who yet couldn't make it a success? <laughs> Despite you all never those names. Know. Yeah, no, I think. I mean, it, there are a number of theories, but I mean, I think it it definitely goes to show that there's not a lot of interest in Vegas magicians as a comedy. <laughs> right, subject. unless they're pulling off a heist. Heist is different, but yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what about what about uh, studio notes? How do you guys tackle those? How do you take them? How do you apply them? Um, it's it's tricky because. You know, sometimes they're garbage notes. I mean, sometimes they're the worst notes. What are some of the worst notes you guys oh, have gotten? Uh, <laughs> a lot of a lot of the the what classifies as the worst is when they take what we've already done. They they see it and think it's good, and so they say, "Yeah, yeah." So so you know the way you do this, do do that, do a lot more of that same thing with mm-hmm. this same character, and so suddenly you've taken something that's fairly smart and subtle and expanded it beyond what it really should be into an obvious kind of hitting over the head right. and that's very difficult I mean I my experience and this was true in TV too um, is that most notes not all but most notes can be addressed with relatively small fixes and the key is to get to what they always call the note behind the note like what's really bugging them if you can get to that and alter your script without sacrificing too much, and then you've addressed it, they've felt heard. Um, that that often is the case. And I think some writers will overreact. I know on sitcoms we would stay till midnight many nights because they overreact, because they would throw out a whole plot line when you could have just tweaked it and fixed it. So yeah. and 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 you know, also they can give really good notes too. And uh and notes that we would not have otherwise seen because we're so sort of in the project, yeah. um, likability, likability, I think is a huge a thing, and it 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 is absolutely, uh, it's absolutely uh, uh, legit, legit, yeah, to their yeah. credit. Um, but you know, I think a lot of a lot of the times that we get notes from people is what we try to do is keep it from from getting too big, and and. Uh, out of control. I mean, a lot of the times, if we say, "What if we did this during the notes meeting?" They could say, "Oh, that's great," and it would avoid a hell of a lot of. Yeah, it's great if you hassle. can have if you can anticipate a note and have the fix before because they don't really like to come up with the answers. Actors may, but the studio doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so, if you can address it in a way that they feel, "Oh, yeah, that's good," then it saves them the trouble of coming up with probably not a great fix for it that you then have to work around. Right. Um, 
That's smart. Yeah. I mean, the good the good execs don't try to foist things on you. They know their limitations. They know what's bothering them. They don't necessarily know how to fix it, and they turn to you, and hopefully, you know how to fix it. Right, but they at least trust you that you, you know yeah, you can do it. Hopefully, hopefully. They, I mean, not not if you're just starting. If you're just starting out, you're going to get. And producers, sure. that's another thing. I mean, there's so much of this free writing, rewriting for producers now that can yeah. be very frustrating, especially if you have no clout. I mean, as you get more success, you get a little more in a position where your agent can call them up and say, "No, they're not doing that," or they'll mm-hmm. give you a week or whatever it is. Um, but you kind of have to just roll with it. We we worked on something very early on, right at, shortly after the sale of forty thousand, where we just got the crap beat out of us. Really, by just notes after notes after unpaid rewrites, dozens. Hmm. And, and a lot of it is, I mean, what seemed to be fueling that was fear of the studio. Uh, hmm. The producers would give us all of these notes in anticipation of what the studio would say, and saying like, you know, you'll only have one chance to get this into the studio head. It has to be perfect. But what what sucks is that like a lot of the times their notes are contradictory um there are often producers that bring a script to a production company so there are already two different entities attached to this script before it even goes to the studio so you have to kind of navigate through those two uh companies as well and and often they're feuding with each other and we would get notes meetings where we're sitting in the room and and two different producers are arguing over what you know would make the thing better. Yeah, and it's all guessing. And it's all guessing, yeah. and and it can completely change after it goes into the studio. And they'll figure out a way to say, oh well, that's kind of what we were going for. <laughs> we're, right, so right. they're never the ones that I were just, like. I, re- I remember um, we were warned by a producer that one particular studio head hates any reference to pee. <laughs> And so we had some joke. It was a kid's movie, and it was some reference he, to He pees pee, himself and they, in and fear. And they were like, you can't put that in. <laughs> he hates pee. <laughs> it's like, how do you, first of all, how do you know that he hates right. pee that how much? How did this come up? I went, I went to summer camp with him, and he was peed on when he was nine. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Have you guys found, uh, you know, as you move sort of deeper into the feature business, uh, or, so, I don't know, I, I feel like the things are changing a little bit where, there's an understanding that this is all a process. Mm-hmm. And maybe that guessing doesn't happen quite as much with the production companies and and the studios. Is, am I imagining this? That there's less guessing involved? Yeah. I mean, I feel like people understand it's a process and you're going to come in and the script is going to be worked on. I really think that... It it all depends on the relationship that you have with mm-hmm. the studio and the and the uh, and the production company because if they if you've already worked on things with them before you kind of have a flow yeah with there's them. a there's a reason I think that people like to work with the studio that they've worked with before because you develop that confidence that that sort of faith that oh yeah they'll figure it out mm-hmm. as opposed to micromanaging everything and we've had both experiences and the micromanaging can be. Very difficult and very frustrating as a writer. Oh, yeah. And sometimes it's so bad that we'll never want to go back to that place again, even yeah. if it would be easier the second time mm-hmm. around. Yeah, there's certain execs who were just like, oh, they're covering it? No, we're not going to do that. Really? It's just too hard. Life's too short, you know. Um, it's a good, it's a healthy attitude to have. Yeah. I mean, there's... I guess, except there's so few studios. <laughs> right. You can't do it and too And some of those execs are at some of the most major yeah. studios. Of course. But there's peace of mind in saying no and just taking that off your plate. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. For sure. 
Um, how do you guys work together? What's what's the partnership like? We're generally in the same room. Whoa, you're going to make a joke? Okay. There's a lot of punching. <laughs> yeah. Lots of um, punching. There's shaving. <laughs> there's punching. There's blood. There's tears. Uh, it's it's generally in the same room. Uh, one of us is, is typing. And uh, I've got a setup at my house where... Um, you can see the screen on on, mm-hmm. on my TV. I'm so. renovating my house. And I'm going to have that set up too. So it's not just his house. Yeah. You have to brag. <laughs> we get it. And you his, have a screen. Yeah. He's got a 75 inch TV. <laughs> so, uh, but what uh, what was great is that I used to. Uh, this is the geekiest, most boring thing I'm about to say, but. I, I used to have this. a... Just put a hash done. mark let's here. Put a, let's tape. put a star so right here. Uh, so, yeah, I I had a, a Mac Mini that I had hooked up to my TV. And now I've learned that the new Apple TVs can do screen oh sharing God. with your laptop. That's so interesting. And so it you save a lot this because you don't need to buy an extra computer. The Mac done. Mini or the uh, the Apple TV is only a hundred bucks. So just uh, you know you a little bit of like advice it's not to. Not a lot because uh, you're so rich. But you know what? We I'm sorry. A hundred bucks for an Apple TV. Listen, he does very well. I know he does. He's he does on bones. Very well. <laughs> Uh, if anyone is still listening after that, <laughs> the people at um, Apple are. Can we get free? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Apple no, we hopefully can. we can get a sponsorship. Here. Yeah. Um, it is interesting to me though that you guys are in the same room uh, working. Do, is this the whole time? Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you br- you break everything together and then like the whole process is together? Yeah. I mean, sometimes we'll work online, mm-hmm. um, but by and but large, even so- there's this great program. <laughs> this is actually this would be interesting called iChat screen sharing. <laughs> uh, another Apple. Uh, product, <laughs> yes. but uh, yeah, no, that that has helped us. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I maybe it's because I spent all those years in writers' rooms, and you know, it's good to actually be there with the person you're collaborating mm-hmm. with. Um, and we've never, maybe it's because we don't trust each other to go off and write scenes and come back. And, you know, we have to actually <laughs> stand over each other and be like, no, 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 that's bad. Um, yeah. And has it been this way the whole time? Has your process evolved? Not or is really. it stuck exactly it's how it's been? It doesn't, our process has not evolved at all. It's not gone. I mean, our, our pitches have evolved. I, th- I think, you know, actually, in, in truth, it has evolved in the sense that, like, we know to avoid more cliched scenes or moments mm-hmm. or lines than we did before. We also, I think... Um, Maybe to our detriment, but we're always. I'm always thinking about like what's the comedic engine of the scene we're writing. Which I, I, I'm not. I'm not always. He's thinking always that. thinking about what's going to make. I'm, what, I'm, when's lunch? Right. <laughs> I'm thinking about what product we're working yeah. on. <laughs> and can I go for a walk? You're very um, very lazy. It's been yeah, thinking about Apple yes. TV. Yeah, how's yeah. my hair look? Um, <laughs> I'm looking at th- through the reflection of the screen at myself. <laughs> Uh, uh, talk about that comedic engine, though, a little bit. Uh, explain that for the well. Listeners. I just I think it's a thing that comes from sitcoms because oftentimes you have to cover a certain amount of exposition, and yet you still want people laughing. Um, you know, the classic airplane version or Monty Python with something funny happening in the background um, <laughs> while the serious conversations in the foreground. Um, but we. Um, I think, for example, you know, we had something with a with a parole officer recently. We had to get certain information out in a scene, and yet we wanted it to be funny. So we thought, all right, what's a weird version of the parole officer we haven't seen before? What mm-hmm. what could be this guy's quirk that makes him funny while still getting across everything you need to do? And I think that's a a useful skill for writers writing comedy because you don't want there to be 
very funny scene and then an expositional scene and then a funny scene if you can if you're writing a comedy it, yeah if it's if it, if there's no heart at all in this comedy especially because there are moments in comedies where you don't want it to be a joke sure. um, mm-hmm. every 10 minute every 10 seconds um but uh we don't write those kind of to movies. establish <laughs> right <laughs> to establish uh you know an emotional connection to the character mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean like for an example in in horrible bosses when uh they're going through the house and and charlie day drops the cocaine it only occurred to us after the fact uh that he should be starting to feel the effects of the uh, cocaine and i think it was actually an actor's note um and that was sort of the comedic engine to the, you know, that second half of that scene. It was cleaning up the cocaine in ridiculous ways, and then it was also getting high while doing it. Yeah. Um, Horrible Bosses was sort of, I mean, if if Forty Thousand Dollar Man put you guys on the map, Horrible Bosses was the thing that you know made you guys bankable writers. Is that is that correct to say? I like it when you say it. <laughs> um, I mean, there was nothing before that. I'm I'm very poorly researched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was our first. Yeah, yeah, to, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, how was the experience for you? I mean, you guys must have, like you say, gone on a thousand meetings after Forty Thousand Dollar Man. Yeah. Uh, how did this one become the one that got produced? Well, it was a script. Uh, there was a script uh, that had been in existence in 2005 and had gone through a number of incarnations. I think Frank Oz was going to direct. They were going to do an all-black version at some huh. point. And so it had kind of had its ups and downs. And then New Line hired us to come in and do a roundtable where you, you pitch ideas and jokes and things on that script. And as a result of the ideas that we pitched at that roundtable, they called and said, do you want to you want to do this? Do you want to rewrite this thing? Oh, interesting. And so we uh, we we gave them a a take on it. I think yeah. for, before mm-hmm. they hired us, it was where, a, it was a very dark, somewhat misogynistic, slightly racist. It was <laughs> it was a great. It's a great concept. It still is. Um, we changed a lot of it, and um, and then it it. I remember being. I was on vacation. I was with my wife in London, and I got a text from one of the producers saying. It looks like we've got Kevin Spacey, Jennifer Aniston, Jamie Foxx, and Colin Farrell. And I remember thinking like it was a joke text because <laughs> it was just so crazy good. Yeah. Um, and so it became surreal pretty hmm. quickly. Um, and and all of the actors too were were great to work with on so it it wasn't it wasn't uh, as nightmarish an experience as it could have been, especially when because you know a lot of the times. Uh, the writers are perceived as this sort of annoying, nebbishy guy that chimes in from the darkness of the studio. Uh, but uh, we, I think we, we were as hands-on as we could be during the, mm-hmm. during the experience. It was, no, it was great. I mean, because it was one of those movies where every week or two weeks you'd go to set and there'd be a different star there doing their thing. Yeah. And even like Donald Sutherland did two days, you know, stuff like oh that. And so it was really fun, and it was, and the guys were, they had some great riffs and things, and so we would, it was almost like a TV show where you'd <laughs> you'd give them options. I remember sort of giving giving some joke ideas to Sudeikis or Bateman or whoever, and um, and that was really fun. And then, which but, I mean, those guys are strong comedy guys, sure. but then you get a Donald Sutherland, <laughs> yeah, right? And are you pitching jokes to no, Donald no. Sutherland? Like, no, what? you he didn't actually have jokes. He was, oh, okay. like, he was a pretty straight character. Um, no, that's uh, really funny. But um, and how long were you guys? Uh, how long did you spend on the script before 
it became about a, a, a about dual a year, picture. I think. Right? Was, yeah, more than a year. That's pretty good. Yeah, um, right. It's not the long draggy thing. No, it was the script kind of, had been it around. Have been less years. too. I mean, when it, when we first, I think when we got our director signed on, that's when it really started to take off mm-hmm. as far as getting actors attached and and all that. Um, but it was a relatively painless process compared to some of the other things that we've worked on. It was great. I mean, yeah. it was really a positive experience. And then to have it do well and be well received was great. And to be proud of it and to actually laugh. I mean, we, we saw it a bunch of times before the final cut, and we were cracking up, not just because we're so funny, but because <laughs> the actors were doing such yeah. great stuff with it, and it was just it was very well done. That's a thing. Um, it, it doesn't come up a lot on these uh, conversations, but... The the strange sensation of watching this thing that you have written but being surprised by it yeah. because of the performances or because yeah. of the draft. Well, there is there is a certain amount as a writer. There's a certain amount of detachment that you mm-hmm. that that happens uh, somewhere along the way where it's no longer your baby and it's this it's this sort of bigger thing. Your baby's yeah. grown up and become a man, <laughs> and uh, you're now just the nagging parents that call every once in a while. Um, but it's uh, it, it's it's very cool to, to see and and also remember the jokes that you wrote a year ago sure. and to finally see them on screen. It's it's, it's very otherworldly. And also when when people quote things that you've written, I mean, that's, that's there were some there were some phrases in that movie that came up on the internet a lot, and you know, people would tweet, and that was great. It's very fun to see. Oh, that's nuts. Um, talk to me a little bit. I mean, you guys suggested uh, that you are directors at heart. Um, what does that do to your relationship with a director of something you've written? It alienates them. <laughs> <laughs> Did it alienate them or you? <laughs> or a little bit of both. No, I mean, uh, well, the, the only completely different uh, uh, experience was when we were doing Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs mm-hmm. because that is very much a collaboration. Yeah, um, that's true. And that's so animated stuff. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's animal. so different. And the and the director's job is so much more all encompassing in a way because a lot of the times they come from anime. I mean, they themselves were mm-hmm. were animators or storyboard artists. Yeah. And so that was by far the most collaborative process I think of any of the projects that we worked on. We're, I think we're very aware when we're writers on a movie that we're not directors. Mm-hmm. I mean, as much as we might try to sway things with our words you can't it's the director's movie ultimately and um we would you know hopefully and we i think we learned quickly like you you figure out what the director wants from you you try to work within those expectations um some directors want more involvement some less and so Mm -hmm. and some actors too some actors are very open to pitches and wanting wanting to hear um, and other others don't want us to pitch them the joke directly and yeah. have it go through their <laughs> assistant. Or, right? What? No, it, 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 there were there were some ex- experiences. Write it down, <laughs> hand it over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but that that this is something. I mean, it comes up in in various aspects. I think of a writing career, whether it's pitching or being on set or whatever, is kind of being able to read the room. Oh yeah, and I would imagine that's something you guys for sure, for sure, you and and also and also sometimes you know personalities of the people working on the project change as as the process goes on. Mm-hmm. Where in the pre production phase they're very open to hearing suggestions, and then the second you know they're you're on set and and under the sure. clock it's 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 completely different. So it is it is a constantly evolving 
learning process as far as figuring out where you draw the line with mm-hmm. with your uh, your yeah. pitches. And there's so, you know, and you just you have to accept that if you're if you're a writer and you're not directing it, then it's not ultimately not your place, and mm-hmm. there's nothing you you know you just have to accept that. I mean, there are scenes in movies of ours that watch and just cringe because we know if he had just done this this way it would have been this much funnier this more whatever you know but it's backseat uh, and what's yeah, uh, what sucks is to everyone else you just come off as a whiny brat <laughs> so you, you try only, not to yeah. complain right. say it to each other and, exactly. that's, all and, that's, and that is that's one reason why we're attempting to sort of transition into directing i was going to ask yeah so yeah. opportunities are uh coming up yes they're coming up um we We've been developing for almost two years now um, the new Vacation movie mm-hmm. with Ed Helms attached to star and, and us attached to direct. How did this guy? How did how did this land in your lap? That make was, it sound so casual, well, like there was no work involved. <laughs> well, it literally just landed. Um, <laughs> new Line wanted to make a reboot of the of the franchise, and I think we were the first people they came to just because of our relationship mm-hmm. with them. And so we gave them a pitch on it, and they always wanted it to be the, the Griswold going back to, or Rusty Griswold taking his family back to Wally World. But so they had that already, and then you guys, that's right. Presumably, other writers were brought in to yeah. pitch on it. Yeah. That's right, and a uh, bunch of people came in, and, and we wrote the script, and then only in, after we wrote the script did they ask if we were interested in directing, and we had always, oh, yeah. you know, hinted that we were. <laughs> so. The the d- directing pitching process is very different um, because you know it's all obviously it's 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 more visual and you have to present a, a lookbook where hmm. you're saying basically what the style of the movie sh- you want to look like. I, I have a friend that that helped us to create a, a lookbook with like scenes from other movies mm-hmm. in it and and you know examples of dialogue that you would put in. This is the thing that's happening more and more in writing pitches too though I mean like when you go in to pitch the feature or the TV show is bringing in a lookbook have you guys used this as writers? never Mm -hmm. get ready (laughs) (laughs) Um, step back a little bit and I don't know if you can but what do you think it was about your pitch that made this uh, made you guys the ones for this project to write it or yeah to write it Um, I think we had a we had a a couple set pieces that we knew would get them laughing. It was mm-hmm. hard because it's, you know, the American road trip comedy certainly been done and done again. Um, so the question is, okay, how do you make it fresh and different from what you've seen? And I guess we, we had a number of, uh, of set pieces that were, that were pretty funny to them. And then, um, the character arc we talked you know it wasn't just a series. It wasn't, we didn't want it to just be episodic. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about, okay, what's this movie really about? It's, a guy trying to reconnect with his family and reinvigorate his marriage, and so it had this emotional sort of journey to it as well. Was there was there a going back to the original National Lampoon's Vacation saying, "What is this about?" Yeah, I mean, I think in in the sense that was we always int- intended our movie to be slightly less broad. You know, mm-hmm. that was very much a, a a product of the Lampoon, the National Lampoon brand, mm-hmm. and um, of what was popular at the time. I yeah, think. right, and and Chevy being. Mm-hmm. You know, this huge star, and it was very much a vehicle for him to do his thing. And so um, we wa- we knew it, it kind of had to be a little more contemporary in a sense. It had to, the tone of it had to be, we have said more planes, trains, and automobiles, which <laughs> is itself fairly broad in places, but still emotional, mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, more John Hughes, I guess. Hmm. 
um, was our goal. Yeah, a little more grounded, a yeah. little darker, right? Yeah, I yeah. can understand. But still that. with That's funny, neat. crazy set pieces. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, that just, and then... Um, and can yeah. you talk about where things stand with that now? I mean, right now we're, we're adjusting, uh, or we, we just finished adjusting the script for Warner Brothers. Uh, because there was there was a dispute over the tone of the movie, and it went and from we had written it initially as PG thirteen, which <laughs> the first movie well the first movie was R, but only because there was no PG thirteen at the time, oh, funny. and the yeah. subsequent sequels were PG thirteen. Yeah. Um, so we envisioned it originally as a PG thirteen because it seemed like it, it could live in that zone, and then they decided uh, you know what PG thirteen comedies aren't doing so well, R comedies are. What if we push this into R? Interesting. So we went back. We rewrote the script and we kind of pushed the envelope in a bunch of places and made it a little more edgy, hmm. um, and actually felt like it was funnier. Um, well, that's good. Yeah, it didn't feel like it was just you know putting raunch in for the sake of right. raunch. Um, a lot so, of the times you can make the comedy all the more amplified if you have the freedom to do whatever you want to do. But um, you know, we we turned that in, and, and then I think there was still a, a sort of a dispute over that, and that. That lasted a while, and right now we don't really know. Yeah, we we just, don't really we know. We just turned the script is back into the studio, basically, and it's now up to the powers that be to mm-hmm. decide its fate. Um, Ed Helms is attached and ready to go, as are we. And New Line, I think, is is cool. So in the meantime, though, there are a, a, a couple other projects that, or at least one other that we had written that we would really love to mm-hmm. get our hands on. The as thing directors. that we sold to New Line, the other things, oh, okay. phones, <clears throat> and, um, and so, so what's what's the state of that? Have you even written it yet? Yes, yes. yeah, we, we wrote it, it. Um, and uh, we've got. Don't say. No, I know. <laughs> but we've got, we've... A prominent uh, comedy producer is interested Great. in producing it. So and, it, it could so be really good. Um, can you yeah. give us the pitch for that? Yeah. I mean, it'll be embarrassing because we yeah. were saying we want to direct this and we may we may end up not being able to. Why? I don't know. <laughs> we'll have um, you back to yell about how it all went exactly. wrong. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but no, it's called The Bus Driver. It's about a guy who uh, just got out of jail. Um, his partner kind of screwed him over and they did this heist that went wrong. And so he's out of jail. He wants to, to get the money that he's due from his partner who ended up making millions. His partner says, screw you. In the meantime, he's got to get a job so that you know, it doesn't violate his parole. And the only job that he manages to finagle himself into is uh, the, the bus driver for a short bus of not <laughs> mentally bus. challenged but uh, troubled kids mm-hmm. um, who are delinquents and need to be on a separate bus because they're so crazy. And so uh, he's driving these kids around and gets the brilliant idea to recruit them to pull off this heist of his former partner. That's really fun. So unlike uh, a school of rock where he's teaching them <laughs> to find themselves through the power of music, he's teaching these kids to be criminals. It's kind of bad, yeah, bad Santa a yeah. little bit. And... That's really fun. I'd buy that over the phone. There you go. <laughs> Um, what, uh, well, we'll start to wrap up, but I, you know, hearing about hearing this pitch and, you know, the, looking at the different kinds of things you guys have worked on, uh, what draws you to a story? You know, what is the jumping off point for you? I don't want to say where do the ideas come from, but you know, what, what gets you guys excited to start really working on a thing rather I mean, than just throwing out ideas? Right. I think a lot of the times it's, if we can see the movie play out in our heads in 
just a few seconds, really. Like if, like the hook of that movie, we were struggling for a long time with a school bus driver. We yeah. wanted to do something. We thought that was a, a career that hadn't really been fully <laughs> exploited in a fun way, you know. And they all tend to be a certain type. Like mm-hmm. if you think back to your school bus drivers, there was like definitely a type. Oh yeah, they're um, all ex cons. Yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. So there was there was a minute where. We, we had an idea for a school bus driver, uh, like, played by maybe Zach Galifianakis, who is uh, terrible with kids, the last person you want to be, treat, you know, handling your kids. And uh, he, he, they get lost on a school trip, and they're stuck in the woods together. And we, and we never really loved that idea. That's but a freebie. We liked, That's a freebie. <laughs> that, yeah. Run That's with a, that one if you want. Um, get on the blacklist, you guys. So... So yeah, I mean we you know, we were still struggling to find exactly the right hook for it and it wasn't until we came up with the So I guess it, it's the hook I think of the of the story that it yeah. that I mean it it's to like us. it's also it's the character or characters like to, can we cuz you're going to spend a good number of months and years with these people you are creating and so it has to be someone interesting and weird and funny and hmm. like Different, I think, not just your romantic comedy lead or something like that. Um, something a little dysfunctional, mm-hmm. someone you can relate to and maybe feel bad for. Um, and it sounds like these, both of the hook and the characters are all kind of coming out of the same conversation. Instead of, wouldn't it be cool to do a movie about? Yeah. It's, right. You know, who is it about? It kind of is at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And what is really? Smart. And what is it about? Like, what? It, mm-hmm. It's not for. It's not enough that it just be sort of a series of funny events like that. It could be anything. I think it has to be like, what's this, what what tale are you telling? I and mean, that's what the best movies are. Hmm. Um, and if you can find yourself a, a piece of yourself in that character, I think is always beneficial. Sure. Like, you know, and you can find examples in all of the movies that we've written that are, were produced or not produced, um, where you can see how a certain side of yourself can play out in that character's experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, like with bosses, it's the frustration of of being, you know, under the tyrannical rule of someone. That, and we've all had that at some point, you know, where you feel helpless and you wish that you had control over your environment. Um, and with this, it's it's really I, I think we were, it's you know, to get, not to get too deep with it, but it is a, a kind of comment on the the prison system and the fact that when people get out of jail, it's nearly impossible for them to to get a second chance because nobody will hire them, um, and there's always this stigma that's surrounding them. So even if they've learned their lesson, they have to go through so many more hurdles in order to you know catch up to the rest of the world. That's great. I like that there's something going on. <laughs> it's really great. Uh, do you guys enjoy the work of writing? Do you like the process? When, when it's... Um when it's clicking, when it's firing on all cylinders, there's there's few things that are better. I think it's really fun when we're making ourselves laugh, writing a scene, like, and then you stop and realize, oh yeah, this is our job. Um, it's great. It's really fun. When you are in the thick of notes and addressing them, it can be really exhausting <laughs> yeah. and frustrating. Um, but yeah, if, I mean, if you can make a living doing this, there aren't many things that are that are a lot better. Um, yeah. I always think of, since we're in a comic book shop, I remember there's a Richie Rich comic when I was a kid (laughs) where he says to his dad, Dad, I want a job. And so Mr. Rich, you know, condescendingly says, okay, Richie. And he spends a day working at the ice cream factory for, you know, rich ice cream. He gets to do, like, the sports thing. It's all these dream kid things. Mm. And um, 
that's how I sometimes feel about working in Hollywood. Is that you? It's an ice. It's a giant ice cream factory. <laughs> yeah. um, at its best, it can be richy rich. Yeah, at its best. And sometimes when you hit a wall and you don't really know where the hell to go with the story or how to fix something according to a note, it can be hellish mm-hmm. um, because you know that you have to produce something, and you know your tastes become a little more refined and you and you and you're a little more critical of your work as you continue to work so that you have to be proud of what you put out to a certain degree and when you're not it's it feels you like you're a little bit of a whore you know (laughs) it kind of feels like you're a whore sure it's that flip side of richie rich exactly the Um, one the one job he didn't try Uh, let me just wrap up by asking you what you guys are watching. What movies are you loving? What TV are you loving? Books? Uh, what are you talking to each other about? What's getting you inspired these days? I think we both liked Her. Her was really good. Right. I think Spike Jones is just, just both visually and idea-wise. I mean, there's so much that goes on. It's great. I love it. And yeah. it's taking such a simple premise and, and running with it, making just the fact that it's him talking to a disembodied voice, basically, for two hours and managing to keep that from getting tedious or boring yeah. is, is a real accomplishment. I watched uh, Philomena last night, and uh, Steve Coogan was just fantastic. And like, so I, I love when, when, when comedy people do straight parts yeah. like that and are really effective. I think it's even more sort of stirring. Lewin Davis uh, depressed the shit out of me. Uh, I loved that movie. It's so good. Just like every movie that they've ever done with the exception of maybe one but uh, which one <laughs> lady killers oh right i always forget about that one great <laughs> even though it's on tbs every day yeah not <laughs> great um but uh yeah I, I that spoke to me too because i i've always had a hand in in just music and and i've always wanted to to continue to create music and so just to sort of uh feel the struggle of of the of the musician was it spoke to me on a very sad level i've been reading a lot of books about um trains boats and airplanes because i have a two-year-old and i read them again <laughs> and again they're only about five pages they're board sure. books um but they're but great. illuminating they're terrific because mm-hmm. you learn a lot about the different kinds of trains and boats. <laughs> my dad got me a subscription to popular mechanics <laughs> which i read because it's time you learn to trade <laughs> exactly enough of this bullshit that's right but only when I'm uh, in the bathroom. <laughs> it's the only time I read that. Uh, and then uh, what, what else was great? Oh, you as far as TV. The Sopranos for the first time. I just, right? oh my God. What? I know, it's yeah. crazy. I had seen a few episodes here and there, but it's it's a real commitment. And and my girlfriend and I, uh, I think we we really fell in love watching The Sopranos together because it became sort of a tradition. <laughs> Uh, but it's uh, it's, and I just watched obviously Breaking, Breaking Bad from the beginning over a month long period. So satisfying, time. right? Really great. Yeah. Got great. just got better and better too. I was not a fan of the first couple seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Gravity, I loved, even though everyone else loved it. Generally, but how that, did they do that? <laughs> I right? know, right? <laughs> Gravity, I loved. How did they do that? Mm-hmm. Um, those are good answers. I'll accept uh, those. Cool. Thank you, guys. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Now leaving Nerdist.com.